0: Hello, folks. Pull up a chair and join us on this adventure we call The Good Judgment Podcast.
1: The episode notes for this incredibly entertaining and informative episode you are about to consume are available at goodjudgepod.com. That's goodjudgepod.com.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. So, Tane, back in the olden days when you had to prepare cases... To try as Con- a
1: lawyer, Conestoga wagon days. Yeah. yeah, back when you had to go
0: lamp light the lamp with oil. Yeah, when you were getting ready to actually prepare, did you ever follow that old adage of that was taught or suggested in law school that you should start by making your closing argument, then go figure out what facts you needed to gather to further that argument? No, so you just didn't do that.
1: <laughs> no, I was actually just telling my students uh, recently. Uh, if you don't start writing your closing argument the first day you pick up the file, you're just not thinking like a lawyer. Cause yeah. I mean, when you look at it for the first time, you're like, how would I present all of this? And I just think that just continues to develop throughout the whole case. But I think closing is very important. So we're going to talk about we're it gonna today. We're going to talk about that yeah. today.
0: So, so today folks, our episode is going to be dealing with closing arguments. I'm going to be honest and, and, and sort of um, don't bury the lead. I thought we were going to talk about closing arguments in civil and criminal cases, and I got so much stuff in criminal <laughs> cases, we're going to have to come back and do the civil on a later date. Sounds
1: like a great idea. All
0: right, so... Um, team, tell the folks about the trial. Yeah, outline.
1: sure. So in the trial outline that we're going to provide, or the, the one that we provide to new judges, and we're going to give to you access to you as well. Um, you have a chart that includes short references to things that are allowed and are not allowed in closing arguments. And I bet our listeners would benefit from having a copy of that. So we're going to put that uh, for them on our website at goodjudgepod.com.
0: So in criminal cases, seventeen eight seventy one was amended in two thousand five. And Tane, I know you didn't do criminal as a lawyer, right? But back in the day when I was a, an ADA prior to two thousand five, you the the decision on who got opening and final closing argument was based one hundred percent on whether the defendant presented any evidence other than the testimony of the defendant. So right. If the defendant presented any evidence, they lost the right to final word in closing argument. Mm -hmm. They became the sandwich, the 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 ham to the sandwich, as opposed to the bread. Right. I don't know. That's a bad analogy. Probably it really is. It's getting around. Last time. I know. Um, So all that changed after 2005, which is you know forever ago for most people. Um, Thankfully, that's not the law anymore. But because it became a game. Right. If you wanted, if you wanted to cross-examine somebody, I wasn't. I'm not going to introduce the video. You want to introduce the video? You know, offer it. Then you lose closing argument. Ha! ha. That just that that's a waste of time. Yeah. State has a burden of proof. State has opening and concluding closing argument in criminal cases. Right. Um, Now the statute that 17871. Every time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings. And
1: that's really satisfying.
0: Um, provides that the defendant shall make his or her closing argument prior to the concluding argument of the prosecuting attorney. It's, it's hard, I guess, to use words to describe a sandwich. <laughs> right. Now, of course, we're not talking about death penalty cases. That's a whole other thing. Right. The, the defendant always gets the final word in the penalty phase of closing argument. Not mm-hmm. in the guilt or innocence phase, but right, in the, but in the, the penalty phase. phase. So when you have multiple uh, lawyers representing a single-party team, Tell the people about what the law says about that as it relates to closing arguments.
1: Yeah, it says not more than two counsel shall be permitted to argue any case for each side except by express leave of court. Only one lawyer may be heard in conclusion.
0: Again, a bunch of words to say this. Two different lawyers can give parts of closing arguments, but only one can give the final word closing argument.
1: Right. So the yeah, what the this the statute calls that the conclusion, which is the um, the final closing if I, I guess if you will.
0: Tane, I know it's been a minute since you've been a judge and you probably have, have rapidly lost all those memories, but um, <laughs> I've nightma- tried. nightmares memories so that I can whatever.
1: remember things like my phone number and important things oh, like man. that.
0: So let me ask you this. Um Did you have a lot of times when you were a judge that you had to call time on a lawyer in a closing argument?
1: I only had to do it one time that I remember, and it was in a really big case. And the lawyer was nowhere near finished with his argument. And I kind of gave him the five minute (laughs) because I could tell he wasn't anywhere near concluding. And he kind of had a horrible look on his face and, you know, tried to wrap up in the next five minutes.
0: So there are time limits, Tane. Thankfully, there have to be. Right.
1: Mercifully, there Misdemeanors,
0: are. Misdemeanors. I know you don't try those. I do. Half hour each side total right? per side. Right. Felonies other than capital other felonies. Other than capital, right. One hour each
1: side. Which, let me just say one, one funny thing about that. In a felony case where you can lose your liberty, you get less time for closing argument than you get in a civil case where all you can lose is money. <laughs> What's the two hours
0: is, is all all civil cases? Yes
1: see that's just
0: a, that's just a more
1: effective bo- uh, lobby yeah, apparently yeah but it always made me laugh. I was like a felony case you get one hour but a civil case you get two.
0: So in felony capital cases you do get two ten. hours yeah and then now this is important. You can ask for an extension, but when must that extension be
1: requested? Yeah, it's got to be before the arguments begin. So you can't start your argument, realize you're out of time, and then go, can I please have 15 more minutes? So, yeah, no, that one doesn't work. You have to do it before well, it almost begin. show up? You know, sometimes my voice goes up. It's puberty or something. I don't know.
0: So in a fun fact, the Georgia law allows the trial court to permit the prosecution to waive opening closing argument, the first closing argument and reserve their argument to only the final closing argument. Yes. That's not allowed under federal law.
1: Right. Although that's always been funny to me because you can get up and go, thank you very much for allowing me to have the opening argument and then just sit down.
0: (laughs) 100%. Now, in my experience, most lawyers, at least modern, if they have the opening and concluding, they use the opening to do two things. Mm -hmm. One, explain the law. Mm -hmm. Two, to see if they can release a rabbit that the other party will chase
1: right goad the opposition into yeah Yeah. going down the the hole
0: right you know you can't actually ask the my my esteemed colleague a question but you know, I would have to ask him to explain why the the, the light was on when they left or right. whatever, if they hadn't been there early.
1: How the hammer ended up in the
0: trunk. Yeah. And then, and then suddenly now that lawyer stands up, well, I can tell you how the hammer <laughs> – and as soon as that lawyer does that, the first lawyer has accomplished his or her goal and right. should smirk privately. Yes. Because any time you get the other lawyer to chase your rabbit mm-hmm. – it's a you, victory. It's a victory. And you are taking them off of whatever they plan to talk about, at least in theory.
1: Yeah. I love it. The, the modern era where people like to use PowerPoints and you just see someone over there furiously changing their PowerPoint during the other <laughs> argument. And I'm like, you're chasing the rabbit. Yeah. Don't chase a rabbit.
0: <laughs> the, All right. The wabbit. <laughs> don't chase a wabbit. <laughs> so content of closing arguments. So we t- we've got the time. We know, we know who can argue and what order they're going to argue. Right. Um, this is kind of a weird rule. There's a rule that says lawyers are not allowed to read law to the jury. Now, clearly, they can quote the law. There right. can be an extraneous exhibit that has an excerpt that uses all the words. There could be a PowerPoint that uses all the words. Mm-hmm. But you can't read law to them. now.
1: And why is that way?
0: Well, because the the, the sole source of the law is supposed to be the judge.
1: Right. You try, I was, he he I absolutely was hoping you, tried to I was hoping you, No, I was hoping you were going to use the sounder that said reading law oh. is not awesome. It, it, you, you want that one? Yeah. Reading law during a podcast is not awesome. Same during j- closing arguments <laughs> to the jury. Not awesome. Oh, I see how you did that. You
0: made yeah. that together very nice. Yeah,
1: thank you. Anyway, go ahead. I, I'm, I'm still here if you need me. I'll yeah. be the A.B. guy. <laughs> All right. All
0: right. Misreading law yeah. is absolutely prohibitive. Well, yeah, I would hope so. <laughs> and um, particularly egregious to argue law that is not a part of the case. For example, in a rape case to suggest to the jury that, you know, what they really should have charged them with was statutory rape. And let me tell you what that what that says. Yeah, because that's not part of this case.
1: Well, and, it, you know, a lot of times or not a lot of times, but on occasion, you'll try to you'll hear somebody start to go down the jury nullification road, you know. Whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. That's coming. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, I don't want to jump the gun it, Then We
0: have it coming headed your way. I don't wanna, I
1: don't want to jump the gun. But anyway, yeah. So so reading law to the jury, like you said, is that is the, the judge's job. Now, you can, however tell the jury what the judge is going to say in other words what the what the uh, and that
0: can be in your powerpoint it it can be word for word all that
1: yeah exactly
0: now um this may be an obvious point but i think it's missed sometimes especially in my trial the other day with my uh self-represented litigant i'll call per se yes um your argument's got to be based on evidence that was presented in this trial. <laughs>
1: Why? Why? Well,
0: I mean, you know, call me crazy, but you can't just argue some other random stuff that was not cross-examined, not examined. Well, not, or if you're your pro
1: se, you can't retestify well, during closing. Or avoid event.
0: cross-examination and just testify during closing. <laughs> exactly. One of the things, and, and apparently this was much more common because there were several cases on this that we have cited in the outline that everybody can find at goodjudgepod.com. Good job. That is that lady right there that's my wife and she was there when it happened and she said yeah. she didn't testify Right. introducing people who've been here all week he could have called the forensic scientist he's been out in the hallway all week yeah, and that's mm-hmm. not in evidence right also arguing what a tattoo meant if there's no evidence of that you don't get to come play Tupac Shakur's song on or Tupac's song we're, we're tight like that we were yeah. Um, what MOB meant? Yeah. Um, money over Women. female dogs. <laughs> and as opposed to, you know, if it meant some other gang-related thing, if there's no evidence right. to that, right. you can't just argue. Now, you can't argue inferences, even far-fetched inferences. <laughs> you just can't come up and say this is a fact when that was not a part of the record. was not right?
1: part of the case, right.
0: Um. Can't argue sympathy, right? And we tell them that. Uh,
1: well, you, we well, you know, it's funny. Uh, a lot of a lot of people don't ask for that charge, and so you know, we we do
0: it that, is, that. Your verdict shall not be based upon sympathy or prejudice or yeah, bias. Or yeah, whatever.
1: And, and and so it's funny you say that because yeah, I mean, it's it's universally understood by us, but not many people ask for that charge. But anyway, go but, ahead.
0: But you know, that usually comes up a lot of times when people try to do what I would say would be a victim impact statement. Yeah. where they want you to talk about, they want to argue about the value or the fear or whatever from the victim's perspective and how, how valuable a member of community they were or how hard they worked or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's not a part of the law. You can't do that. Right. Now, right. you may give some uh, leeway and, and try not to, you know, to try to let the person sort of flow through. But the more they start talking about this was an important person who died,
1: Mm-hmm
0: the more the other party needs to be making some sort of an objection and it should be sustained
1: by the judge. Right. And, and and you sort of touch on a point there that I always laugh about is I used to have professors in law school who quite frankly probably never tried a case um, say, well, you really shouldn't object during opening statement or closing argument i'm like what not uh, only if it's objectionable what universe are you in man there's error all over the place in opening and closing i mean 100 jump up and object
0: um you talked about jury nullification we have the cases now explain jury nullification for anybody who's listening who may not understand
1: i mean just the shorthand of it is um, you as a juror don't have to find the defendant guilty because, um, you know, you don't like the state, uh, you, you don't like you don't the like state. The law. Yeah. You don't like the government. You don't like the law. You just, you, you have the ability to find them not guilty. Well, no, regardless of what you think about the facts simply because you don't trust the government, you know, or, or something. I think along we those heard
0: lines. a little bit of that in Wisconsin recently yeah. in the Brooks trial.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and, and it's interesting because if you look at the language of the jury charges... There is some language woven in the, into those that almost allows for jury nullification because it says, "If you find this, you may convict." And then it says, "If, if you, you find this, you or you don't you, find this, a you shall duty. acquit, and you have a duty to acquit." And yeah. so, there's a there's almost I'm surprised an, more lawyers don't argue that I am as well. Yeah, but anyway, on to something different.
0: Counsel can use figurative speech now. Tain, you're the guy that that. Defines terms for us. Right. Make sure I understand figurative speech. What What are we talking about with figurative speech?
1: Um, talking about things in terms of um, trying to make it easier for the jury to understand by analogy. Use, yeah, yeah. By using metaphor or by using analogy or a simile or something like that. Is, is that, that like or yeah, as? this is like or as yeah, similar. This is like uh, you know. A a fox chasing, a fox being left, you know, to guard the hen house. I mean, you can use those kinds of analogies and metaphors and similes and all of those sorts of things in trying to make things easier for a jury to understand. So
0: you could call the defendants an army of robbers and and use some army analogies?
1: Exactly. So there's a there's an interesting case that says um, it is quite natural and by no means unusual for an advocate in discussing the facts of a case before a jury to indulge to some extent, in imagery and illustration. Sometimes a simile may be inapt, or a metaphor mixed, or the expression may be hyperbolic. Uh, What the law forbids is the introduction into a case by way of argument, of facts not in the record, and calculated to prejudice the accused. So, in other words, you can you can get hyperbolic. You can say, you know, this was a horrible act, or this was a you know tragic incident, or all of those kinds of descriptive things that we frequently hear in closing arguments. And that doesn't go outside the bounds of what's allowed.
0: You know, that a hundred percent looked sounded like a, a paragraph you would write. Really? Yeah. You I had you, 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 you are very articulate. I like that. Appreciate that, man. Um, I am the king of the mix metaphor. (laughs) I will get right in midair, and I have foxes at hen houses.
1: Playing football.
0: And something about (laughs) chickens and eggs, and I just don't even know how I got there.
1: And then that fox would tackle him as he's running down the sidelines. Wait, how did I get here?
0: Tate, is – We used to say, you and I both did, that one of the most humbling things you could do in life was to read yourself on a transcript.
1: Oh, it's horrible, yeah. Until you record a podcast. Yeah, well, there is that, yeah. But Stephen clears a lot up, fixes a lot in the mix. Yeah, he's helpful. So a lawyer
0: can refer to things of common knowledge and well-established historic facts to sort of further their argument using an, an example, for example, but you just can't really just bring in extrinsic things that don't have anything to do with the evidence. Yeah.
1: Case. I mean, I've heard people quote Thomas Jefferson in a closing argument or Abraham Lincoln or something. And, you know, that's fair game. Sure. It's a common historical quote.
0: So you can draw deductions from the evidence lawyers and you can even draw deductions that are unreasonable and illogical. But the cure for that argument is cross-examination or opposing argument. It is not exclusion. Right. Right. So, In other
1: words, let the dumb be dumb, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, Tame, name calling. Yeah. That's one. And and I know that's an oversimplification of this phrase, but when people start calling the defendant or the other side names, Mm -hmm. like liar, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: can you call somebody a liar? Yes. Mm -hmm. If the evidence shows that on direct they said X and on cross they said Y. Mm -hmm. But my mama taught me it wasn't nice to call people liars. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that rule sort of applies in jury trials.
1: Yeah. But there's a difference between what's good technique to convince a jury of something and what's prohibited. Because the, the line between figurative speech and... Prohibited name calling, as we're as we're calling it, is a pretty thin line.
0: So you 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 mentioned, for example, drawing an analogy to Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. So is it okay to call the defendant Hitler?
1: Yeah, right. Or Genghis Khan or yeah Jeffrey Dahmer yeah. or yeah. You just can't do that. Right.
0: So so you're gonna see in our handy dandy chart that actually is a part of this outline in a yeah. few minutes. What is and is not allowed. But I just think that when you find yourself identifying one of the parties, calling the other one names, that's one of those big categories where you're going, "Mm, we need to start. Judge, you need to clue in here because this may be getting ugly.
1: Folks, we'll be right back after this pause for station identification.
0: Folks, this is Wade and Tain. You're listening to the Good Judgment Podcast on the World Wide Web or wherever else you listen to these things. As always, you can find outlines for these podcast episodes as well as any supplemental materials on our website, which is goodjudgepod.com. We'd love to have your feedback about the podcast and we get that at our email, goodjudgepod at gmail.com. We're always looking for suggested podcast topics. Please feel free to submit your suggestions to us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. Operators are standing by. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, don't forget to like us and follow us on your favorite podcast
1: platform and tell your friends. It's how we get to grow our listenership. Thanks. And now back to our studio audience.
0: So, Tane, I do not know how often, I mean, man, oh, man, do we get objections about this. Right. Arguing the defendant's (laughs) credibility and or commenting on the defendant's ability to subpoena witnesses or evidence in their favor oh
1: yeah i've heard that so many times
0: the argument is that it's burden shifting right right and the state if worded properly can absolutely make this argument
1: right semantics are really key uh, in in what is permitted and what is not permitted
0: so hint to prosecutors if you want to go here in your argument, it's really valuable to me and to you for you to start it with something like the defendant has no obligation to present any evidence or duty to testify. Exactly. However, they do have the authority to go subpoena with stuff. And then go down that. When you give me that first disclaimer.
1: I feel a lot more comfortable with part B. Exactly. That's exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right.
0: Exactly. Um, it's not a bad idea, Tane, for prosecutors to throw in, and you know, the burden is on us, and it never shifts to the defendant. Right. And then, of course, you will always figure up. we will gladly take on that yoke, you know? <laughs>
1: because we are we the have, red, white, and blue. We have the goods. That's right. Whatever.
0: Um, it's absolutely permissible, folks, for the state to argue that the defendant could have called witnesses or presented evidence. Sure. It's just smarter to start with that first disclaimer. Mm-hmm. So, as an example, folks, um, the state can comment on the defendant's failure to produce certain witnesses when the defendant testifies at the trial that that person knew where I was at the relevant time, or I knew I didn't have a gun, or whatever. And that person's and then, not called. Yeah, as a they witness. don't
1: get called as a witness, right?
0: Um, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the the sites are in the outline. The state can't comment that the forensic uh, witness was in the hall all week, and the defendant could have called him if he wanted to. That's not in evidence.
1: Right. Yeah. Where where somebody is and what they were doing during trial is not evidence.
0: Um, where the where the where the defendant says that my girlfriend was there on while he's on the stand. And the DA says, "Ma'am, would you stand during his closing <laughs> argument? Now, would you stand up? <laughs> what's your name?"
1: Yeah, How no. Are you
0: related to the defendant? No. I'm his girlfriend?
1: No. Yeah. No. 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 That's time for presenting evidence has ended. Correct. Time for arguing and, and, has and, begun. It,
0: because really, the counter that's well, heck, the state could have called her too.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's right.
0: All right. This changed radically in what Tainan loves to be called the new evidence code.
1: <laughs> you know, I hate that way. I, I mean, the child gets, to be 10 u- gets in just a minute. under my skin. So
0: in 1991, this case called Mallory versus the state came out and said it is a bright line. Do not cross this line. You cannot comment on the defendant's pre-arrest silence. Right. You just can't because he has a constitutional right to remain silent, etc., etc., et cetera, et cetera. Et cetera. That rule has been abrogated. I love that word. All
1: right, we're going to underline this. Yeah. (laughs) That rule is changed. Wade said abrogated, and some must might not know what that means. It's from the Greek.
0: Oh, no, 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 no. We're not going down this path again.
1: (laughs) Abrogated. It has been changed. The
0: 2013 code changed it. Yes. And a case called Orr made a pretty lengthy analysis and said, see, the evidence code changed, so Mallory changed. Mallory was a judge-made rule. That was, and they didn't say wrong, but they said that is affected by the statutory rule that exists in the 2013 evidence code. Yeah.
1: And and as we all know out there, again, another hint, when people start citing you cases about evidence that are pre-2013, you need to be wary that you might be treading on old evidence code ground. Old ice. Old ice, there you go. Might be treading on old ice. That's a mixed metaphor. Go ahead. Um, That's just a wrong
0: metaphor. Go ahead. (laughs) It just doesn't work. So the pre-arrest silent. There's a really, I think sometimes people go, yeah, I see that. And then they go, now tell me an example of what you're talking about. Yeah. Let me give you an example because this came from Orr. The prosecutor argued to the jury, you know, this defendant now wants to claim self-defense. I find that really convenient. He never told that story to the police not once. He never said, "Hey, wait a minute, I'm the victim here. She came at me with an ashtray." I submit to you that his whole story about being the victim is something he made up because he now has an interest in the outcome of this case.
1: Is it self-defense if somebody comes at you with an ashtray and it depends on what you do. Yeah, I mean, if you like, hit
0: him with your ashtray, then it's good. Okay, I guess. But I, I was thinking
1: she—I was thinking she handed him a pack of cigarettes and an ashtray and said, "Here, smoke yourself to death." But anyway, go ahead, Wade. I, I haven't read or Clearly, so I, I don't know or
0: the The Court—that's hard to say. or Court yes. held that the pre-arrest silence or failure to come forward is admissible post Mallory being overturned, but careful consideration of specific sorts of evidence that come in within this broad face, broad phrase of silence or failure to come forward, has to be made. So they held that 801-D2B. Tane, I know you know your 801s and your 803s. 801-D2B is an adoptive admission. Yeah. And that's where anybody would, of course, say, would comment, hey, Tane, you molested children. And you would go, and no, th- I do not. <whistles> well, th- interestingly, they gave an example here and it's in one of our citations where the girlfriend confronted the the boyfriend mm-hmm. with molesting her child. Mm-hmm. And he didn't say anything.
1: Mm-hmm. And they call and it they a, go, mm-hmm. an adoptive admission. Correct. They said, yeah, yeah
0: where, where, where it's clear that he heard it. Right. And that anybody in in similar situation that is innocent would refute that or mm-hmm. at least object. Mm-hmm. That could be an adoptive admission. But it may or may not be an adoptive admission if there's no evidence that the defendant heard the thing. So there will argument became, well, the defendant fled and that somehow was an admission. No, it's not admission, but it is consciousness of guilt. Right. So it can come into your closing, but what you can't do is say, you see, he was guilty because he fled and somehow statements that he never heard somehow become a part of the case. No, 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 no. Right. So all of that ha- can't you, – you can't – if you can't get into evidence, it can't be any part of your closing argument because we can only argue things that are in evidence.
1: Right. Now,
0: flight – Let's is consci- talk
1: about – yeah, let's talk about flight. Flight
0: is consciousness of guilt. And if you want to talk about that for a minute – and I, I really like that last quote.
1: Yeah, go ahead so well the case the cases do say that evidence of flight can be offered and argued but it, it's argued and offered as evidence of consciousness of guilt not as you said a minute ago as, a, as an explicit admission or an implicit admission um, there remains a prohibition against any jury charge on flight and how a jury might con- consider that evidence now some of us are old enough to remember that there used to be a flight charge a long time ago and so don't you know don't get confused by that don't get confused by old you don't charge that's right you don't charge it to the jury and then yeah there's a good quote here that says the fact of an accused's flight escape from custody resistance to arrest concealment, assumption of a false name, and related conduct is admissible as evidence of consciousness of guilt. And so you can argue it in closing argument as as that, but you can't argue it as other things.
0: Nobody can argue p- probation, parole, sentencing, anything like that. Obviously, that doesn't apply to death penalty cases.
1: Yeah. Talk about the mathematical certainty, because that has oh caused, God. that that was a calamitous case. Uh, and,
0: and, and Tain, it has come back again. And it's not nearly as clear as you would as you would say, but yeah. I but I know you, and I know that you are going to be able to um, do a great job in in sort of concluding, like Justice Peterson did. I think I think it was Justice Peterson that some of these things you need to leave alone. Um, the jury charge relating to proof beyond a reasonable doubt says that the you're not that the prosecutor is not required to prove the defendant's guilt beyond all doubt or to a mathematical certainty right some of our prosecutors i swear they must talk about this at meetings because it all seems to happen at once mm-hmm. began trying to quantify that and in <laughs> I know, yeah, right? let's not do that exactly.
1: right? <laughs> It sounded just like what you just <laughs> that's did that's really cool yeah um so that's because that sound happens in my brain when i do certain things
0: bellbot I, and, and i'm sorry if i completely hacking this name Debellbot versus state d-e-b-e-l-b-o-t Debellbot, double bow it may I, be double bow
1: i have no idea
0: um the prosecutor argued that proof beyond a reasonable doubt did not mean to a mathematical certainty so far so good yeah next step kind of a doozy <laughs> prosecutor went on to, to tell the jury that they did not have to be ninety nine percent sure, ninety percent sure, eighty percent sure, or even fifty one percent sure.
1: <laughs> Can you hit that sounder again, Wade? Beep, blah, Thank you. Yeah. Good try. And the answer is reverse.
0: Just obviously wrong. Supreme Court said that's just obviously wrong.
1: Yeah. Now. Because then it's a lesser standard than in a civil case. Yeah, it's and, like,
0: but it implies it. Whether you say it or not, mm-hmm. it implies it. Yeah and they said this particular case the evidence was not overwhelming so that mattered in their final analysis of whether this was a material thing that 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 fundamentally changed due process on the heels of that case was drawn tell the folks about drawn
1: yeah them. and again like you said that this this shows it's not even it doesn't have to be as egregious as the argument we just heard in drawn. The argument was not found to create was not found to create reversible error, where the prosecutor argued that beyond a reasonable doubt quote is not beyond all doubt. It's not ninety percent or ninety five percent. The prosecutor didn't go down this you know all the way down to fifty one percent or less, and so they they indicated that it didn't uh, create reversible er, reversible error in comparing the two arguments in a third decision the supreme court noted that the evidence in devilbot was relatively weak whereas the evidence of guilt in drawn was relatively strong therefore the errors in both arguments was reversible in one case but not in the other in other words They didn't love the argument. They didn't want, you know, the prosecutors to make the argument, but they had to analyze it. The Supreme Court had to analyze it in terms of how strong was the evidence and how likely was it that that argument affected the outcome or potentially affected the outcome of the jury's decision.
0: So that third case where they talked about double bot or double bow or whatever and drawn was a case called Warren. In Warren, the prosecutor, argued, the court will tell you again what reasonable doubt is. It's not a mathematical certainty. It's not 95 percent, 85 percent. It's a doubt of a fair-minded person, uh, a, a doubt of a fair-minded person while honestly seeking the truth. The Supreme Court held that such remarks during closing the argument are at the very least Inadvisable. Okay, Tain, there's there's this, a little
1: flag yeah, <laughs> waving. Just leave
0: this alone. But yeah. Tain, this this next this next quote makes it make sense. How about you reading
1: it? Yeah. So the so the justice said, we admonish lawyers not to confuse jurors by attempting to quantify a standard of proof that is not susceptible to quantification. And
0: so I think that I th- I think if you really think about that for a minute, although the charge says not to a mathematical certainty. That does not mean that 99% is okay. You could, 98, you can 101.
1: You could easily substitute the word absolute instead of mathematical. You yeah. know that it would it doesn't have to be pr- proved to an absolute certainty. Right. Uh, you know, it, it, that's what the meaning of that is and so the court is trying to say stop making this argument leave this term- alone. because yeah, you alone.
0: can't quantify this. Right. Um, the one thing that all these cases had in common, two of them, they said it was not reversible. All of them said it was error. Two of them said it wasn't reversible. One said it was. It was really the level of, of proof. Part of, interestingly, Tane, none of those cases did the defense lawyer object. They must have gone to that class that your lawyer right. that that <laughs> Yeah, your, Don't object. Your professor said, Don't ever object and close an argument. Right. These are all ineffective claims and ineffective assistance. In short, prosecutors, please just leave this alone. Now, Tane, I know it's been a minute since you've been a judge, but you're, you're still among our <laughs> fraternity. Six months,
1: Wade. Six long months. Tell
0: everybody what we're supposed to do when we hear argument sure. that is, is inappropriate.
1: Yeah. So this is this is actually an important statute, so I'm going to read it. OCGA section 17-8-75 says... Every
0: time a statute is cited, an angel gets his wings. Oh, thank goodness.
1: Uh, It says, where counsel in the hearing of the jury, that's important, in the hearing of the jury, makes statements of prejudicial matters which are not in evidence, it is the duty of the court to interpose and prevent the same. On objection made, the court shall also rebuke the counsel and by all needful and proper instructions to the jury endeavor to remove the improper impression from their minds or, in his discretion, he may order a mistrial If the prosecuting attorney is the offender. Not the defense lawyer. No, there's a couple of important things in there. Uh, Number one is you have a duty as the trial judge to listen for these things. And again, this is talking about statements of prejudicial matters which are not in evidence. So if you hear that and your little sounder goes off in your brain, you as the trial judge have a duty to interpose or intervene and prevent the same and Then if an objection is made, you're supposed to rebuke counsel in front of the jury, which is what the cases and uh, the statute says. And then finally, if the prosecuting attorney is the offender, then a mistrial may be an appropriate remedy. And then you just determine that the way. But it's really interesting that they single out the prosecutor on that.
0: So, folks, what follows in our outline are the charts that that literally you could cut and paste into your own child on trial outline. If you think they're valuable, you could read. Recite them, these are things that are allowed, is one chart, and things that are not allowed in the other chart. And as we've talked about, for example, um, defendants' pretrial silence is generally not allowed unless, and so there has to be some asterisk. But I tried to include things that I hear a lot, things like, for example, biblical quotes. Well, you can't really do that the golden rule you know the
1: golden rule how do would unto, you feel if you do were the unto victim? others as you would have them do unto you what if you were sitting what in this chair what if you were
0: sitting in this chair and there's a golden rule argument that's prohibited actually both ways what if you were the defendant what if you were the victim right
1: and or and, their and, family? and golden rule is actually also uh, implicated in civil cases i mean mm-hmm. that's also a prohibited argument in civil cases
0: future dangerousness um there, all of that is in these charts and I don't want to sit here and just read cases. Everybody and, can do this, but I think these charts are pretty valuable. Yeah.
1: Thanks by the way, Wade, for helping prepare my, um, class lesson on closing arguments that's that charts basically my whole lesson so awesome. thanks i appreciate that
0: but it's just criminal there's a different one in civil i know i know so folks with that being said that's all for our episode yeah. dealing with closing arguments we honestly we started thinking we were going to do all closing arguments and we'll have to come back and touch on civil
1: that gives us another topic for another day wade man more homework is what that means. I know, and you know what this is this is the teaser where we tell the audience that's coming just wait. It's coming. We've become like professional broadcasters. We're pros. We're pros. Yeah. So anyway, folks, uh, don't forget you can find those car- charts at uh, goodjudgepod.com.
0: Reach out to us on goodjudgepod at gmail.com with all of your podcast ideas because we're rapidly running out of them. We don't know what <laughs> what makes you happy. So yeah. um, feel free to keep sending them. And don't forget to visit our LinkedIn page.
1: There you go. Yeah. The Good Judgment podcast on LinkedIn. So I'm Wade Patrick. And I'm Tane Kell. You know, MTV had its broadcast premiere on August 1, 1981. Ironically, the first music video ever played on MTV was the video for the song Video Killed the Radio Star by the band The Buggles. Well, I know that was one of your favorite bands on vinyl, Wade, uh, back in the day. I had the forty-five. If you've ever heard that song you're welcome for that earwig that's now boring into your brain because that was a really infectious but horrible song
0: I can't do the voice but I know the song can you do it
1: video kill the radio star there you go y'all have a great day (laughs) take care folks thank you for listening to the good judgment podcast we try to give you actionable information in a format that does not make you want to jump in the creek. Two thoughts on that. One, some topics
0: allow us to have a little more room to have fun. But number two, if we failed you, we'll do our best to do it better next time.
1: We know that you have lots of choices, and we're honored that you chose to spend this time with us. We're kind of amazed, to be totally honest. This podcast began as a project that was initially the brainchild of Doug Ashworth, the former executive director of ICJE.
0: Thanks and appreciation to Mr. Henneberger and the entire University of Georgia College of Law.
1: Thanks to Mr. Steven Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, who helped to add it out some of our stupidity and awkwardness, but hey, nobody can get it all. Thanks to our unsung
0: hero, Mr. Kevin Holder. You are instrumental in our podcast being published and made available to the public. We should have been singing your praises since we started this thing, but we
1: didn't, So. Wade and I are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead new judge orientation for the Superior Court Judges across Georgia.
0: Tain and I are also very grateful to the State Justice Institute who have been instrumental in our success in that they have provided grants to help us get this product to
1: you. You know these are our opinions and do not reflect the opinions of ICJE, CSCJ, SJI, or the University of Georgia College of Law or anyone else for that matter.
0: Contact us at goodjudgepod at gmail.com for any praise. Contact somebody else for any complaints.
1: But seriously, we would love your feedback, both good and bad. Send any comments to goodjudgepod at gmail.com. But seriously, send the bad comments to Wade.
0: Visit our website, goodjudgepod.com for all of our episode outlines and more details about our podcast. Some of you send emails asking for copies of these outlines. These outlines are available 24-7, 365 at the website goodjudgepod.com. You can upload them, download them, or otherwise use them as you wish and on your schedule. Once again, I'm Wade Paget.
1: And as always, I'm Tane Kell. Thanks for listening.